4. Revelation chapter 4. As we move into chapter 4, uh, we're kind of, I would start, start saying, well, this is a little bit more strange country. Uh, we just uh, left the past uh, as we dealt with the seven churches and the seven pastors of Asia Minor. And yet, while we studied those pastors and churches, we came to understand that we, in, uh, we were, in reality, very much in the present. And uh, when we get to this chapter, we're about to step off into the future. Uh, this chapter and the one that follows takes us to the very throne room of God, where we can see ourselves and what we will be doing when we get to heaven. And after that, our focus will be primarily on earth until we get to chapter 21. And what I want us to understand is that Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is a very special verse. In fact, if you do not understand this verse, then you cannot understand the rest of the book. If you mess up here, you'll be out of step all the way through the rest of the book. Uh, it's kind of like uh, but buttoning your, your shirt. Uh, ever buttoned your shirt and only get down to the last button, you find that there's no buttonhole? Yeah. You look in the mirror and you see your shirt's kind of, you know, cattywampus. That's a Greek word there. Uh, so you get back and you see what actually happened. You usually find that your problems began right at the start. You started at the wrong place. And if, you, if the right button is not placed in the right buttonhole, then you're in trouble. Uh, things never turn out quite right. And that same uh, thing is true in this book. And so this verse is so vital, I want us to take some time and just look at verse 1 uh, in some detail. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this verse is all about our future. And it tells us about the day when all of the children of God will leave the world together. And I want us to look at the facts as they're presented in this verse. So notice, first of all, the importance of this verse. The importance of this verse. And it's going to be a verse that is a transitional verse. It's a transitional verse. Verse 4, after this I looked... And behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, notice there in that verse that the phrase uh, uh, begins, the, the verse begins with, After this, after this. And then it ends with the word, Hereafter. Hereafter. Now, in the Greek text, those words are exactly the same words. Uh, both of these in, are English expressions that we translate from the Greek words metatata. Now, this is not the first time that we've encountered this phrase in this book. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 19, and metatata shows up here as well. John is commanded to write three different things. The things which thou hast seen the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's our phrase right there. The things that shall be metatata. Uh, and that ties these verses together. Now, 
What we have in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19 is basically the outline of the book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen. That points to verse uh, events in chapter 1. The things which are points to events of chapters 2 and 3, or the letters to the seven pastors of the seven churches. And you notice the last words of chapter 3, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelation 3.22 Now these events cover the history of the visible local churches from the days of the apostles until the end of the church age. And then it says there, The things which shall be hereafter. That points to the events that will occur after the age of the church has ended. Now chapters 4 and 5 find the redeemed saints of God in heaven, in his presence, worshiping him there. And then chapters 6 through 19 deal with the tribulation period and with the wrath of God as he judges the sinful world and purifies his people Israel. So Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is an important verse, and you must understand it correctly if you're going to stay on track as we move through this book. It's also important because it signals a time of transition for the people of the Lord. After this point, the church will be never mentioned as being on the earth again. Uh, the verse tells us about the day when we're going to be moving up to glory land. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. So it's an important verse. Secondly, it's a typical verse. The verse tells us that one man, John, was called up into heaven. This Just one man is affected, just John. But in this verse, John becomes a representative man. He's a type. He pictures what will happen to all those believers who are living on the earth when Jesus comes back for his people in the rapture. Now, I don't want to give away the rest of the message, but the event called the rapture is very important. When the rapture takes place, several events will be set into motion. Saints will be taken out of the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. The rapture is called the blessed hope in Titus 2, 13. And I'm thankful for that wonderful hope. Then the Spirit of God will be taken out of the world, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. And then sinful, rebellious world will be plunged into the great tribulation that we find in Revelation chapter 24 and verse 21. So this verse stands as a type or a picture of what will happen when Jesus returns for his children. Are you ready? I'm ready. The importance of this verse. Secondly, we have the illustrations of this verse. Now, the book of Revelation is filled with signs and symbols and illustrations. Back in Revelation 1 and verse 1, we're told that he sent and signified it. Now, you just take that word signified and kind of sound it out. If you do, it comes out signified, okay? Signified. In other words, the Lord tells John that he's going to reveal some content of this book in signs and symbols. If you read the book of Revelation, you know how true this is. Jesus is pictured as the Lamb. The redeemed saints are pictured as the 24 elders. Um, they're represented, the, uh, the redeemed saints. The New Jerusalem is pictured as a bride. The Antichrist is called the beast. 
Uh, there are many other examples that we could give. But the use of symbols in no way changes what God says. Everything he says will come to pass as a literal event. He merely uses the language of symbolism to describe those actual events. And he uses symbols so that people of all generations will be able to understand what he means. And there are two symbols or illustrations given to encourage us in this verse. Notice, first of all, it involves the eyes. John said he saw a door opened in heaven. He saw a door opened in heaven. Uh, this phrase literally means that there was a door and it was a standing open in heaven. Now, this is the third door we've encountered in a Revelation thus far. We've looked at the door of service, Revelation 3.8. Uh, the church in Philadelphia is told, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can open it or shut it. Uh, this is a door of the gospel opportunity, of service. Uh, when a church is biblical and is walking after the will of the Lord, he will set before it an open door of ministry. He's doing that with our church in these days. Some of us just aren't seeing the open door. All right? There is an open door before us. It's an open door of service. Then there's the door of the saints. That's Revelation 3.20. Those in Laodicea were invited to open the doors of their church to let Jesus in. The Laodiceans had closed the church to Jesus, but if it is, uh, it is opened, he will enter and will bring revival and fellowship. Then there's the door of summons, Revelation 4 and verse 1. That's where we're at here. Uh, the third uh, door. This open door in heaven becomes a door of summons. Those who are saved will one day be called up to go through the open door into heaven. And in our text, the door in heaven is shown as, as actually standing open. The tense of the verb means that the door had been open and it continues to stand open for all who would desire to enter. Now, we know who the door is, don't we? John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus identified himself as the door. Uh, he's the only way to heaven. People do not go to heaven through the door of the church, regardless of how, uh, what name is over the door. People do not enter heaven through their good works. Uh, they do not go in their own power. The only door into salvation in heaven is Jesus Christ. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose again. He's the one who paid the price for our salvation. He's the only way to God. And then there's going to be later on the door of splendor, Revelation 19 and verse 11. And here one day the, the heaven will be open again. This time it will not allow people to enter. It will be open to allow Jesus to return to this earth with his children and he's returning in splendor, power, and glory to stamp out evil and establish his kingdom. So it involved the eyes. Secondly, it involved the ears. Not only was, did John see a door, he heard a trumpet. Again, this is language of symbolism. He said, the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. Now, what John heard was not an actual trumpet, 
but a noise like that of a trumpet, piercing and loud and demanding attention. Now, trumpets were very important in the life of ancient Israel. Back in Numbers chapter 10, uh, gives how God's instructions there for the use of trumpets in Israel. Uh, they were to make two trumpets of silver. There were different types of trumpet blasts for different events. Uh, the trumpets were to be blown when it was time to break camp and move on. The trumpets blew to announce sacrifices for feast days. Uh, trumpets blew to summon the priest to the tabernacle. Uh, they must have had a different sound each time they were blown, so you know what was taking place. Uh, there were trumpets that were used to sound an alarm in time of war or danger. It's very important that people be listening to the various trumpet blasts and that the trumpeters would make the right sounds. Now, trumpets also figure heavily in the New Testament, particularly in connection with the end time events. Uh, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, this wonderful passage on the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, verse, uh, and I should say 2 Thessalonians, no, 1 Thessalonians, I'm, I'm in the right place, uh, 4.16. He uh, said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, when Jesus comes, that trumpet will call the living up, but its shout will also call the dead. We look at the New Testament. Every time Jesus shouted in the Bible, there was a resurrection. For instance, he shouted at the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus got up. John 11. He shouted on Calvary, and many of the dead saints arose. In John 19 and Matthew 27. He shouts at the rapture, and all the redeemed will hear his voice and come out of their graves. Now, I do not know what Jesus will say, but uh, here in chapter 4 and verse uh, 1, he may say what it says here, come up hither. Uh, he may say, come forth. He may say, come home. Whatever he says in that day, his voice will cause gravity to lose its hold on our bodies and we'll be changed into his likeness and we'll fly away to our heavenly home. Thirdly, we come to the implications of this verse. Now, there is kind of a river of glory, so to speak, running through this precious verse. I don't want us to miss the implications of this verse for our lives. First, it speaks of a deliverance. John is told that he is going to see things which must be hereafter. He's referring to future things. It won't be long until we move into Revelation chapter 6 and beyond. And when we get there, we're going to encounter some details that are almost too horrible and too amazing to comprehend. And when we get to chapter 6, we're going to witness a vivid description of the events of the tribulation period. And I think it's significant that John is caught up into heaven before the tribulation period. As I mentioned, John is representative. He's a representative man. He pictures believers and their removal from this world before the horrors of the tribulation period begin to unfold. And that's exactly what the rapture of the saints is. It's a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. 
Again, if we look in in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, we see, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, the word caught up there, that describes what we call the rapture. Now, we know that uh, the word rapture does not appear in the Bible, but in fact, uh, we shouldn't let that uh, throw us because the word grandfather doesn't appear in the Bible either. Did you know that? You look for it sometime, it's not there. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't any grandfathers, does it? We know there are grandfathers. In fact, I'm a grandfather. So uh, just because it doesn't appear doesn't mean it doesn't mean something. Well, the word rapture is actually a Latin translation of the Greek word harpazo, which is a word translated caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. The word harpazo literally means to seize or to carry off by force. Now, if you saw your child about to get hit by a car and you ran out in the street and snatched that child out of the path of the oncoming vehicle, saving his life, then you have the meaning of this word. Okay? It's the idea of rescue from danger. Tribulation time is going to be a time of danger, and God's going to rescue us. He's going to catch us up out of the danger. It's a terrible time of danger coming to this world. God's going to pull his people out. He's going to pull his spirit out too. He's going to break off diplomatic relations with the world. And then he's going to declare war on sin and sinners. He's going to take his saints out before that time comes. Now, some people who haven't carefully read their Bibles believe that believers will be here for the tribulation. Some even say, we're in it right now. No. Uh, this is nothing compared to what the tribulation, the great tribulation is going to be. They say the so-called churches of Jesus Christ are so filthy, so impure that God will leave them here to be cleaned up during that awful time. No. Let me just ask those people one question. What could the tribulation possibly do for the church that the blood of Jesus cannot do? Yes, there's sin and there's sinners in, ch in churches. But when we're caught up, we will face Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give him an account of our deeds in our lives. But sin has been paid for. Where? Calvary. Thank God for that. Now, a few reasons why I believe we will be rescued before the tribulation period. One is our salvation has delivered us from his wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 5. We won't take time to read those. But also, we're looking for the blessed hope. We're not looking for the horrors of tribulation. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the wrath of God. We're looking for the blessed hope. Titus 2 and verse 13. The biblical types suggest that we'll be taken out before the rapture. Remember Enoch? He was removed before the flood. Lot, he was removed before Sodom was destroyed. Genesis 19. And so there's a clear pattern throughout the scripture. God removes his people before he manifests his wrath. 
And one other proof is found in, in a number of places in Revelation. I've got them listed there. Chapter 2, verse 7, 11, 17, 29. Chapter 3, 6, 13, and 22. These verses, Jesus uses the words, He that hath an ear, let him hear the Spirit saith what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, if we think about what Matthew 13 uh, talks about, where Jesus says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's no mention of the Spirit or of the churches. Of course, there was before the church was formed and before the Spirit was given. Now, you look at Revelation 13 and verse 9, and this verse says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. I hope you see the difference here. Jesus does not mention either the Spirit or the churches. Why? Because they have been removed. They have been removed at the rapture. And praise God, we will not be here during the tribulation. And what we see here is exactly what happens in our world when war breaks out between nations, when hostilities begin to rise. One of the first things a nation does is to call its ambassadors home. The church is God's ambassadors to this world. <coughs> Excuse me. We're told that in 2 Corinthians 5.20. And before he declares war on the earth, he's going to call his ambassadors home, his people. And thank God we're leaving before the worst comes. Some years ago, there was a preacher who was preaching at the University of Hawaii. He was talking about the second coming of the Lord, and one of the students asked him, Preacher, doesn't this matter of the second coming of, uh, of the church seem to like escapism to you? The preacher replied, Well, perhaps it does, but young man, before Satan gets through with this old world, we'll all be looking for the exit signs. Now, it's an interesting thought. One of these days, we'll be glad for the fact that Jesus is going to rescue us. He's going to take us out. As bad as things are today, we haven't seen anything yet. Secondly, it speaks of destination. Not only is there going to be an escape, praise God, there's going to be an entrance. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, So shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, when we pass from this world through the open door in heaven, we're going home. We're heading to that place Jesus has promised to prepare for us. And when we arrive there, we will join the saints of all ages in the presence of the Lord in his city. Think about the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints all together in that city. Think about the martyrs of all the ages and the preachers and the faithful church folks and all together in glory. Think about that city, free from the curse of this world, free from death, free from pain, free from sin. Uh, think about seeing Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. Think about that day when we go home. Well, one day, we don't have to imagine or think about uh, what, uh, what, for we're going to be there. There was a song that was written by a fellow by Jim Hill. I think he got it right when he put his pen to paper and wrote, There's coming a day when no heartaches will come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. 
All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There will be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Now, there are some exciting days ahead for us as believers. We're about to leave this world behind forever. And that's the message of Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to be moving. Some of you people haven't moved for a while. You can't remember what it's like to move. We know all too well what it's like to move, but uh, one of these days we're going to move to our home in heaven. The question I have for you, are you in this verse? John has been called up to heaven. One day every saved child of God will be called up there too. Will you be in that number? When the Lord comes in the rapture of his saints, will you go with him or you be left behind to face the tribulation? If you're saved, then praise his name. There's a great day coming. If you're not saved, then you need to come to Jesus while there's still hope and be saved before it's too late. What has the Lord said to your heart today? Let's bow in prayer. Father.